This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. And each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. And we want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, and it was on April 16, 2023. continue our study of a letter that was written to the Jewish men and women who had become Christ followers, we who are now living in 2023 may have a hard time fully comprehending all that the author is trying to tell his audience. We've mentioned this a few times as we've worked through, the, through Hebrews up to this point. But for example, in chapter 7, Jeremy had the responsibility to explain who Melchizedek was. And why did the author have to write this section um, explaining why it was possible for Christ to be a high priest? Why, why these things? Um, for us, we don't have a problem believing that, that Christ is our high priest. Of course, Christ, Jesus is our high priest. The Bible says so. It's not an issue for us. But as Jeremy pointed out two weeks ago, this may have raised some red flags for the Jewish Christians. Christians there in the first century that were struggling in their faith. They had been taught all their lives that only Levites could be priests according to the law that God had given to Moses. So when Jesus claimed to be the high priest um, as mediator between God and man, the argument could have and must have been raised that this would have been impossible. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was not a descendant of Aaron. So the author is explaining here to these, to those early Christians, Jewish Christians, and to us as well, that Melchizedek wasn't part of that line either. Yet God considered him a priest, and therefore it is possible for Jesus to be our high priest. And that would have settled it in the mind of the Jewish person. And Jeremy did a good job of giving us the, the basic overview of that and we're able to better understand the, the passage uh, because of his explanation there. But as we work through the next several chapters of this letter, there's going to be some other points made that the Jewish readers would have not needed any explanation to fully understand them. We, on the other hand, don't have the experience or the full teaching that they would have had, and so we may not understand it quite as well as what they would have. We're going to talk about the tabernacle. We're going to talk about high priests and the sacrificial systems. And we, we've been talking about this a little bit up to this point anyway, but it's over the next few chapters and really through the rest of the letter, it's going to be um, talked about a lot. <clears throat> There's going to be a lot of overlap and, <clears throat> and such. And these are all things that none of us have experienced. So we, we're not able to fully understand them as these early Christians would have. So in today's passage, we're going to be looking at what it is that Jesus does as our high priest, as our mediator. So to help us better understand that a little bit, I want to quickly just talk about the high priest's role in the sacrificial system, and specifically what he did on the Day of Atonement. 
Um, it would take a month of Sundays and someone a lot more knowledgeable than I am to be able to help us properly understand everything about, about this, the Jewish culture and the Old Testament systems. So this is just the basics. It's not going to be anything um, uh, very... Uh, it's, it's just basic. That's, um, but I would strongly recommend studying this out on your own a little bit. Um, watch the Bible Project videos. There's, there's a lot of them there. Listen to their podcasts and such. Or better yet, go and, and just sit down and read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I know it might get a little tedious sometimes, but it, but it would help us gain a better understanding of what it is that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, and then we can, can learn more from that, just because we don't, we don't have that experience. Just in the same way, if, if I asked one of you guys to go get the Upinor tool for me at work and, and a three-quarter by half by half tee in the collars. Very few, I mean, even Seth, who works for me, wouldn't probably know what to do. But if I asked Phil, he would know right away. And that's kind of the difference that we're talking about here. For the Jewish person, they hear these things, and they have a picture in their mind already. They've been there, and they understand what it is that the, that the writer is trying to say. For us, we kind of look back at the things we may have learned in Sunday school or in Bible school uh, as kids growing up and those kind of things, but we can't fully comprehend it without a lot of extra study and stuff. So I would recommend doing that so, so when the author says something, we can get that word picture in our mind at least a little bit better than what we would without studying it out. So in Leviticus, we find many instructions on how the priests were to offer sacrifices and what sacrifice was for what sin or for what circumstance. But one of the most important of those days that they would, would celebrate was the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would first of all go through a number of ritual cleansings, and he would put on special clothes as God had commanded uh, Moses to tell Aaron to do. And then he would sacrifice a bull for his own sins and for the sins of his family. Darlene read back in in last chapter what Jeremy would have uh, hit a couple Sundays ago and, and explained this. He had to offer sacrifice for his own sins. So that's what he would do first. And this was the only day that the high priest was allowed to enter into the the most holy place or the holy of holies or behind the veil. It's different ways of saying the same room. But that is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That was where the presence of God dwelt. And he would place the bull on the altar and he would offer it as a burnt offering for his own sins so that now he would be able to enter into the presence of God with his sins forgiven and his sins atoned for. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle some of that blood from the bull there on the ark. And then he would, they would bring two goats and he would uh, cast lots to choose which of the two would be sacrificed to, um, which of the two would be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And he would then sacrifice it, and he would again place the meat on the altar and, and burn it, and then he would take the blood and he would go back into the Holy of Holies, and again he would sprinkle it there on the ark as well. And that would be what the price, that would be what would be necessary for God to forgive the sins of the nation. But then the other goat would be taken 
and the sins of the nation symbolically placed upon this goat, and then it would be taken out into the wilderness uh, as a symbol of their sin being taken away and forgotten. So this was how the nation of Israel maintained their relationship with God. There were offerings for when the sin was intentional. There were sacrifices for sins committed in ignorance. There were peace offerings. There were guilt offerings. Going through all of these rituals and sacrificing animals on a daily basis in order to receive forgiveness. However, as we see here in a couple chapters in Hebrews, the blood of animals did not really bring about the forgiveness of sins. But it was just a symbol of the blood that will one day be shed to take away our sin, the blood of Christ. So last week we celebrated Christ's death and his resurrection. And as Jeremy and I both kind of mentioned, this was the best day ever. The things that were accomplished by Christ that day are just amazing. And all of that shedding of blood and ritual cleansing that had to take place day after day and year after year for centuries was no longer necessary because Christ was the perfect sacrifice and, and the perfect high priest. So this is what the author is trying to tell us and to help us understand in today's passage. And then even in the next few and throughout, throughout the rest of the book of, of Hebrews pretty much. And that's been the main theme throughout the letter as he continues to tell his readers, of Jesus' superiority to the Old Covenant. And we're going to hear in the next week's words like superior, better, new versus old. And in today's passage, the author will show how Jesus' role as our high priest is superior to the high priest that came before him. Because he is the final high priest, because his blood was sufficient. And also he's going to talk about where he serves is the true place of worship, not one made by humans. And finally, how his ministry is superior. So those three things. He's the final high priest. Um, the place of his ministry is superior. And his ministry itself is superior to those who had come before him. The animal sacrifices, the tabernacle, and the role of the, high, of the previous high priests were only models or shadows of what Jesus would one day be. And the author is trying to convince, to let them know that, yes, Jesus, the real deal, he is here. Why would we settle for a fraction of the perfect? So with this in mind, let's read today's passage again, and then we'll break it apart a little bit and see what it says. So chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. He says, here is the main point. We have a priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern 
I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior <clears throat> to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So he starts out by saying, here is the main point. And there's some disagreement as to whether he is saying this about the previous teaching. Like, I'm not sure what um, translation, Darlene, that you read from, but it, it, the way that it was translated kind of pointed back. Uh, some of the other translations point that it's the statement that he says right away, and some other uh, scholars say that it's talking about a far, one even farther in, down the, uh, in a coming chapter or whatever. Um, so there's a little bit of disagreement about that. However, the point that he has been making, the point that he's making right here in these verses, and the point that he will continue to make throughout the rest of the letter is that Jesus is superior. He is better. He has completed and fulfilled the Old Testament covenant and is now offering a new and a better way. That's, that's the main point. And there is no longer any need to continue to offer sacrifices because his blood is sufficient. So the main point is that Jesus has completed the work that he had to do. He is now seated with God. He made it possible for the relationship between a holy God and sinful mankind to be restored. He is the final high priest. There's no need for another. He has taken his seat of honor beside the throne of God. His work, as far as that, is done. Where he serves as a high priest is superior as well, because as he ministers in the presence of God in heaven, because he ministers in the presence of God in heaven, it's superior. It's not in a tent or a temple built by humans like the priests of the old covenant. God gave Moses detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle, and the details were important, but only because it was a model of the real temple that was built for true worship, and built by God himself, not by fallible humans. And we see this in verses 2 to 5 that say, There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. And again, we're going to be talking about the tabernacle in more detail in the next coming weeks. So Jesus in his new covenant is superior to the old covenant because he is the final high priest, because his sacrifice was sufficient, for all time, he's also, it is superior because he ministers in God's true temple, not in a model. And finally, the third thing, because his ministry is superior. Verse 6 says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So we are able to be in relationship with God because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. 
The blood of animals could not bring this about. A tabernacle or a beautiful temple did not make it possible for us to be made right. A high priest that had to offer sacrifices for his own sins could not convince a holy and righteous God to turn a blind eye to our sin. So the main point of what we have been looking at and will continue to look at as we continue through this letter is that Jesus and his new covenant are superior. Jesus tells us that there is no other way to the Father except through him. So what application do we have as we think about Christ and his superiority as our, con- as our high priest, as our mediator? What, what can we take from that? First of all, I again to encourage you to study out the Old Covenant so we can understand a little bit more about what it is that Christ accomplished. Watch the videos, read the text there in Scripture. Uh, go up to Lancaster to the replica of the tabernacle. Jeremy and I were talking about this other night. I went with an, I was in college, and it was just neat uh, to see. But right there, in, I think it's there in front of LMH, if I remember right, um, they have a, a, te- a, a replica. Um, but gain a better appreciation for what it is that Christ has done for us. And this brings me to my second application for today. Praise God that we live on this side of the cross. We are truly blessed to be living in this time of grace. The more I learn about God and about his righteousness and his purity, and the more I learn about myself and my sin, my deficiencies, the more I begin to understand and appreciate what it was that Christ accomplished on the cross. One of my favorite quotes uh, from The Chosen is when Mary Magdalene, who, who had been freed from, from demon uh, possession and, and uh, so many things, was being asked about who Jesus was. And her response was, All I know is that I was one way, and now I'm different. And he was the in-between. He was the reason that changed me. So as we work through these next chapters, let's all be strengthened in our faith in who Christ is, who he says that he is, and let's thank him for being that in-between that changes us and makes us new. You have been listening to the Trestler Mennonite Sermon from April 16, 2023, The Passage was Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 6. Take care.